evening and to have the opportunity to share with you on this incredible message. We're going to be talking in the services together this weekend about uh, heart holiness and what's involved in what the incredible optimism of God's grace, the message that I've been a Nazarene all my life, which is more than half of uh, Nazarene history. And so all my life, I've heard that God raised up the Church of the Nazarene particularly to proclaim this message, uh, the gospel of full salvation. And the reminder to us that at, in the early days, in fact, just last night, I taught a class last night until 9 o'clock, and we were talking, we were looking at right after the Civil War, uh, many holiness denominations were born, and out of that was this message of holiness and the declaration of the gospel of full salvation. And this discussion of completing the Reformation, we'll actually be talking more about that uh, tomorrow, and the optimism of God's grace and how God was, was going to do a great work among his people as this message of full salvation was declared. And so that's what we're, we're going to uh, be speaking a great deal about. Um, I was almost late to the service this evening because uh, Pastor Cruzy asked me to talk about some things, and so I was working up a new PowerPoint, and so I had a few minutes in my office yesterday, and I was just scratching out some thoughts for a new PowerPoint, and I laid it out how I wanted one slide to look, and I said, well, you know, I can't put that much information on one slide, and so I probably ought to break that down this morning before I leave. And so in my mind, I, I, I started with that one slide, and I worked backwards, to, to break it down as many times as I thought I needed to break it down, where, okay, well, that, well, I really need to say this, and then I said, well, I probably should say that first. And so this is just kind of spinning on my head, you know. And uh, <clears throat> pretty soon I had 20 PowerPoint slides, and, which is all that we're going to get to in the morning. And I looked at the clock and went, oh my goodness, it was like two hours had gone by. So I just threw everything in a suitcase. And I'd been praying about what I wanted to talk about tonight, and I felt like the Lord was leading me to this. And so I just grabbed my notes and looked at them. Well, I had scribbled on my notes so much I couldn't even read them anymore. So I thought, well, I better print those off again. So I went to my computer and turned it on and printed them off again. Well, then I had to kind of mark them so I could, you know, tell what I was going to do. Well, so that's what I did while you guys were getting supper on. So it just about didn't make it. So... But anyway, we'll, we'll be all right. So, but what I wanted to say was, be sure to be here for every service because one service builds, the next service builds on the last one and we're kind of developing a theme of thought. But we have to start here because everything that we're going to talk about this weekend is not going to make any sense unless we talk about this first because this, to me, is the absolute most important thing. It reminds me, of this story when Sue and I pastored in Cincinnati. Uh, we had a neighbor who lived on the next street over. She was just one street over and around the corner. She passed in front of our Cincinnati parsonage every day, mid-morning. We didn't know exactly what time of the morning she'd pass in front of our house, but we always knew what she'd be wearing. She always had on a black wool coat, and it was always buttoned all the way up to the top, including the top button. Now, Cincinnati weather is oftentimes like this weather in the summer. It's hot and humid. But even in the hottest of weather in the summer, she always had that black wool coat on. It was always buttoned up to the very top button. And she patrolled the streets and she picked up paper and trash and bottles, and she put them in a paper sack with plastic handles, the kind like you get, you know, when you're going to J.C. Penney's at the mall. Walk by our house, pick up the paper, trash, and bottles, and we saw her do that every day. She didn't talk to anybody. She just kind of stayed to herself. She's kind of a mystery lady. Well, then one warm spring day, we missed her. She didn't make the visit and then another day, and then a third day. Well, by the third day, 
the neighbors recognized that something was wrong, and so they called the police. And the police went to her door, knocked on the door. She didn't answer, and they knew that something was, was awry. And so they broke into the house, and they found that the lady had died in her sleep. That didn't surprise them as much as what they found inside the house. They were shocked and horrified to find every piece of paper and every can and every bottle that she had ever collected from our streets for who knows how long down across the past several years stacked from the floor to the ceiling in the living room and in the dining room and in the kitchen and in every bedroom till there was just a little narrow walkway. And I know you've seen on TLC channel or all these channels about hoarders. It was that to the max. I mean, every room was jam-packed all the way to the ceiling with all that stuff. Totally filled with garbage. So, the police brought one of those big dumpster trailers like they bring in on the back of a semi. And they just, just backed up, said red tape all, or yellow tape all around the house. And those of us who were Snoopy were watching all this take place because it, it was fascinating. And so they were just wheelbarrows. The police were just wheelbarrows carrying all this stuff out. And... Um, when they got enough of it down to, I think the first thing that they noticed was different. When, when they got down to one of the couch cushions, one of the policemen noticed that the couch cushion made a funny sound when he picked it up. And so he unzipped it. And the couch cushion was not stuffed with cotton. It was stuffed with money. And she had taken all the cotton stuffing out and replaced it with bills. And not just $1 bills, but like 10s and 20s. And so obviously that got his attention. So then they went through every couch cushion. And they were all filled with money. Well, from there they went to every pillow in the house and the mattresses and everything else that could be stuffed with anything other than cotton stuffing. And so from that point then, they just went through everything. And when they had hauled out all the trash and the garbage and had sorted through all the money that they found, they realized that this little old Cincinnati lady, our neighbor, was living in abject poverty with $2 million in cash right there at her house. I've often thought about that and wondered if sometimes we in the church are not like the bag lady was our neighbor. I oftentimes hear Christians talk about how hard it is for them to serve the Lord, how hard it is to resist temptation, how hard it is to follow Jesus and to be consistent and control their emotions and how hard it is to struggle in this fallen world and what hostile territory it is to be a righteous and an unrighteous world and to live for God in a world that doesn't make a place for Him. I know that's true. But I also know, I also know that God has put incredible resources, indescribable resources at our fingertips. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight and tomorrow as we unpack this business of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's a part of the holiness movement. One fact is perfectly clear, and I, that's what I want to begin by talking about, and that is holiness is not an abstract concept. It's not a theory that I, as a systematic theologian, am going to stand up here and try to prove to you. 
It's not a list of rules to follow. And let me just, again, say at the outset, holiness is not about not dipping snuff. It's not about not smoking cigarettes or not cussing or not doing a lot of things. It's not about a doctrine to be dissected, even though I can do that pretty well. That's not what it's about. Holiness is a way of living that's made possible by a personal relationship with God every day. It's about life and it's about relationship. It's not about letter and law. And that changes the whole complexion of everything we're going to be talking about this weekend. So we talk about holiness. We're really talking about your love life with God. You see, this business about holiness, more than anything else, than, more than anything has to do with the ministry of the Holy Spirit who lives and works in you. Most of what we know about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in terms of teaching, I know we know a lot in terms of the way we see it lived out in the church through the book of Acts, but I mean in terms of teaching, much of what we know comes from the ministry of Jesus' teaching in John, chapters 14 through 17. And I want to read just a few verses of Scripture from John 14. We're going to begin reading at uh, verses 12. We're going to start out at verses 12 and 13. And then um, 18, 19, 26, and 27. So 14, verse 12, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. And he will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Now, verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. And because I live, you also will live. Verse 26. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not, let the world, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Everything that Jesus tells us in this passage, both what we read and then in chapters 15, 16, and 17, everything we read about the Holy Spirit tells us that He is a person. He's not an impersonal force. He's not... A thing like the Star Wars movies talks about, you know, the force. I get really frustrated. And I know this is just my pet peeve, so I'm not laying this on anybody else, but it just aggravates the ever-living daylights out of me when people refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. It just annoys me to no end. My wife loves the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. And she has, like, I don't even know how many CDs they have. 411, I think. And she has them all. And so she has them on her MP3 player. And whenever one of those songs comes on, in fact, there's one song that, that, that they have that just drives me buggy. And whenever it comes on, I open my mouth to say something, and she looks at me, and she says, don't even start. And so I, because she knows what the sermon is. And it's, <clears throat> it's the song, Get It On Down. And if you know anything about the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, you've heard that song many, many times. Get it on down, get it on. What is the it of that song? It's the Holy Spirit. Just this past week, and again, this is my problem, I know, but just this past week, <clears throat> I was uh, reviewing some curriculum that we teach at Olivet. And I was looking over a PowerPoint. And now... Almost everybody on the third floor of Burke who teaches in the religion department has a Ph.D. in theology. And we all know our stuff, right? And so I'm reviewing this PowerPoint, and I have, I have incredible respect for all my colleagues. And we all, like I said, we all know our business. 
But I'm reviewing this PowerPoint, and I just, I'm reading on the paper, and I just go, what? And I get up, and I, I, I walk down the hall, and I point, I showed my friend, the guy who's reviewing this with me, we're reviewing somebody else's curriculum, but, and we don't even know who put it in there, so it's not like we're getting on any one individual. But, um, I say, can you, I went to Jason, I said, Jason, could you believe this? And it was a, it was the PowerPoint presentation was on the Holy Spirit. And in the course of the screen, you know, the pronoun that's used for the Holy Spirit is it. I'm just going, we just do that all the time in the church and we don't even think about it. But it, we just need to be really, really careful that we remind ourselves and we correct ourselves and we keep coming back to this thing of remembering over and over and over again every time we, one of us catches it that we remind each other Holy Spirit is a person, not an it, a person. Jesus says in verse 18, I will come to you. On Good Friday, the enemies of Jesus walked confidently down the hill of Calvary. They washed the dirt and the blood off their hands. They tried to forget the whole matter. They were sure that they had succeeded in ridding the world of another religious fanatic. But something went terribly wrong with their plan because today we're told that as many as 1.7 billion people around the world know Jesus They speak to him, they listen to him, they consult him, they're guided by him, they pray to him, they draw inspiration from him. It is the Holy Spirit who brings the presence of the living Christ to anyone who calls on the name of Jesus. Because without the Holy Spirit, Jesus would be nothing more than just an impersonal memory. He would just be another page in the scrapbook of an old antique collector. His name would be like the names that we remember of old timers, like Confucius or Aristotle or Mohammed. I've seen shrines of people like that. I think that one of the most moving spiritual experiences of my life happened in Red Square, Moscow, as I visited the open casket, Lenin's tomb. I stood close enough to Lenin to reach out and touch his body. I chose not to because there were two armed guards on either side of him with machine guns, and that didn't look like something I'd probably want to do. He looks good for a guy who's been laying there since 1929. I think the miracles of modern science. I thought about how this guy had masterminded, as I'm you know, standing there very reverently looking in the casket. Here, this guy masterminded the communist revolution and its strong commitment to atheism. And as I left the building, my heart leaped for joy as I thought, Lenin is dead, the revolution is dead, but Jesus is alive. And the thing that reminded me that Jesus was alive was that as I walked out of the building and onto Red Square, all, you see, Red Square is completely surrounded with churches. And all the church bells were ringing. And they were ringing so loud, it, would, it almost hurt your ears. And I asked Carla Sundberg, I said, Carla, why are they ringing those bells so loud? And she said, Frank, they weren't allowed to ring the bells for 70 years. She said, they've got 70 years of catching up to do. And they're going to ring them as loud and as long as they can. Till they get caught up. Lenin's dead. The revolution's dead. Jesus is alive. So the good news today is, if you're a Christian, 
The creator of the universe lives in your heart. Why? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. When Jesus left, he said, I will come to you. And he does. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, when Jesus left, he left us an awfully big trunk to unpack. He left us his preaching ministry, his parables, his teaching, his miracles, his lifestyle, his example, his command to evangelize the world. How on earth are we supposed to ever process all of that? How are we supposed to live up to that standard? How are we possibly going to live all those teachings? How can we reproduce His ministry? How can we bring His light to this dark world? Obviously, we can't by our own strength and effort. If we read the Bible through as many times as we possibly could, if we pay close attention to Sunday school class, if we listen carefully to every sermon our pastor preaches, if we try to live the Christian life as best we can, we'll experience nothing but frustration and defeat if we're doing all of this under our own power. I think one of the absolute dumbest interviews I've ever heard happened a few weeks ago on the Today Show when Matt Lauer introduced a man who came out with a book. Um, He decided that he would read the Old Testament and then he would follow all of the laws of the Old Testament. And then he wrote a book about it. And then, you know... It went to press, and then Matt Lauer interviewed him. And so Matt Lauer says, so what's your conclusion? Just give us the thesis of your book. Now, this is supposed to be some big insight. Okay, so we're on national television, and Matt Lauer, the multi-million dollar interviewer, is bringing us this newsflash. And this guy says, well, I took a whole year, I read the Old Testament, and I followed the insights of the Old Testament, and then I wrote a book about it, and Matt Lauer goes, yeah, 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 now what's the punchline? He said, well, what I realized was, you can't keep the Old Testament law. And I just, I just yelled at the screen, you know, the TV screen, I'm going, well, duh, any, Christ, any New Testament Christian knows that. That's why Jesus came. That's the whole purpose of the New Covenant. Because you can't live the Old Testament law. That guy just wasted a whole year of his life and he can't get that year back. You know, and anybody who buys his book and reads it has just wasted twenty nine ninety five, And I just lost... Ten minutes of my life listening to that Today Show interview because I knew that. The Holy Spirit has come in this whole new covenant experience to live in us because the Old Testament is powerless. We can't do it on our own. We can't pay enough attention in Sunday school class. Or take enough notes of the preacher's sermons to figure out how to do it on our own. That's why God sends the Holy Spirit to live and work in us. That's the essential link there. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. It's not our striving. It's not what we do. It's what He does in us. And so, it's in knowing Him better. It's in making ourselves available to Him, for Him to work through us that makes it possible for us to live lives of holiness. Well, Jesus also says thirdly that He's the one. 
He's the one who does the teaching. You know, we can attend Sunday school class and morning worship service and Bible studies and read the Bible faithfully. But all that's going to be in vain unless Jesus does the teaching because He's the one. He says here, He's the one who's teaching us all things. I mentioned that I taught a graduate class last night. My wife also taught a graduate class last night. Um, she had um, middle-aged folks who are coming back getting a master's degree. And all of that has a lot, thousands of students who are coming back getting master's degrees, uh, middle age. But they're coming back in record numbers all over the country, but that's really nothing new. Because the Holy Spirit has had a continuing education program for middle-aged folks and folks of all ages for all generations now of teaching folks at all ages. We always like to hear what people say toward the end of their life. And I'm particularly interested that toward the end of Paul's life, one of the last recorded statements Paul makes before he leaves this earth is, he said, I want to know Christ. That really fascinates me. I want to know Christ. Is that your heart's cry? To know Jesus better? Well, if you do, it'll be the Holy Spirit who will teach you about Christ. He's the one who does the instructing. He's the one who must flow through you to teach you about Christ. And so that's why holiness is so important because it is through hard holiness that you learn more about Jesus. He's the one that makes it possible for us to know more about Jesus. Jesus says here that the Holy Spirit is going to be the one to remind us one of my fondest memories of working at Mid-America was for almost the whole time I was at Mid-America, I got to work with Wanda Wood. And um, I remember one time when she got frustrated with us. Got frustrated with all the books and coats and waste paper and foam cups that I didn't do it, but some, some of our students did. Left late around the office. And one day, out of aggravation, she went to her computer and she typed, off this note, and it came coming out of the, came off the printer, and she taped it to the wall, and in big, bold print with a huge exclamation point, it said, "I'm not your mother." And of course, all the students knew what she was talking about. And that's one of the reasons God gave us mothers, I guess, to remind us, you know, just, you know take out the trash, take out the trash. Take out the trash. Um, take out the trash. The Holy Spirit's really good at that. He just continually reminds us of those things that He's told us before, and He knows He's told us before, and we know He's told us before, but He just keeps coming back at us in such a kind way. But verse 26, it reminds us of what we know, we've known. We, remind, we, need, we need to be reminded again. One time, Wesley, uh, we're told, is, uh, preached a powerful sermon. The crowd was incredibly moved. At the end of the service, somebody went up to him, and I guess they were trying to win brownie points with John Wesley, and they said, oh, Brother Wesley, that was a deeply moving service. And I think he had a you know, dry wit about him, and he said, oh, yes. Uh, and if the people aren't careful, they might accidentally remember it till the end of the week, you know. Because he knew that people would just were quick to forget. And we're all, it's as easy for us to forget um, what at one time made a big impact. And Jesus knew that. And that's why he knew we need the Holy Spirit to remind us. And the Holy Spirit so often will come back and remind us of concepts, ideas, thoughts that he's taught us before. But the idea falls on stony ground or preoccupied mind and sensitive spirit, whatever. 
And he gently comes and reminds us again. So we have to be open. We need to be open to the Spirit's prodding to come back. Gently remind us of what we've forgotten. And then Jesus said, and I like this one especially, He's the one who comes to give us peace. He closes the evening by saying, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. If you're looking for the Holy Spirit to come with signs and wonders, if you're waiting for an electrical charge to flow through your body, if you, if you think you can get a hold of a voltage meter and it's going to the needle's going to go over to 440 volts. If you're hoping that you'll be able to speak in unintelligible languages, then you've missed the whole point. Because that's not what it's about. Not that at all. I remember praying with a student at the altar my first year of teaching... I remember it as clear as if it happened yesterday. In fact, it was Pastor Cruzies. He was at Mid-America at that time. This was during his era. Dr. Metz was uh, still teaching at Mid-America in those days. And he and I went to pray with this student. And he was praying about holiness, actually. And we prayed with him a while. And I let Dr. Metz take the lead because uh, he was the, the seasoned faculty member there at the time. had been there for nearly two decades. And so in his own gentle way, he said, uh, Son, has the Lord met your need? And after a season of prayer, he said, No. And he said, Well, what do you want the Lord to do for you? And he said, Oh, I want him to move mightily on me. And he said, well, have you... And he asked him a few questions. And he said, no, he didn't do it. Notice the word, it. And Dr. Matt said, well, what, what is the it you're praying about? He said, I want a feeling. And he said, when he does it, it's going to flow through my body and I'll feel a surge of electricity go through me and it'll start with my feet and it'll flow through me like I got a hold of an electric cord when I'm standing in a puddle of water. And he said, I'll not believe I've had anything happen to me till I get that jolt flowing through me. And I mean, it, it, he wasn't looking for God's touch. He was looking for a faulty electric cord. And, you know, and, so, and I didn't do it. I bit my tongue, but I wanted to say, well, there's a plug over there. Go stick your finger in it, you know? You can get that. You can get that feeling. And there's a side of that that's humorous, but there's another side of it that's sad because that's what I was talking about earlier. And it reminded me, when I think back about that, it reminded me of a time when uh, Brent was a child I'll, I'll try not to bore you with too many of these Brent stories, but there's just so many of them, and they're all cute. But Brent was a child, and I'd be, be away on a business trip, you know, out preaching somewhere. I'd come back, and he'd say, he, he's all excited to see me, Daddy, Daddy, you know, he'd run. I'd put my suitcase down, and he'd throw his arms around me, and I'd hug him real big, and I'd, for a minute, I'd say, think, I'd think to myself, oh, he's so glad to see me. He's so glad that I'm back home. You know, he's so glad Dad's home and we're reunited, Father and Son. You know, for a fleeting moment, those had come through my mind. And then he'd say, what'd you bring me? And then, of course, I start having these sobering thoughts. Is he glad to see me? Or is he wanting his daddy's been gone present? And I often wonder, as I think about that, if we're seeking the Lord or if we're seeking the signs and wonders. Do we want a relationship that draws us closer to Jesus? Or do we want bragging rights on something we can testify 
that will outdo anybody else's testimony at the next prayer meeting service we're at. That we can say, well, you guys can tell your stories, but let's hear you top this one. Because God did something for me that I doubt if anybody in the room can top. And boy, I mean, I'm going to get a lot of spiritual maturity points out of this one. And you're going to be amazed. I mean, when you hear this, your socks are going to drop. God doesn't come and prepackaged experiences that everybody's going to experience in exactly the same way. But I do think when He comes to us in the center of our being, we'll all testify to it perhaps a little differently. But I think there's a sense, and I've listened to hundreds and hundreds of folks talk down across the years that have been in the ministry. I have heard this common denominator over and over again. A deep sense of peace. A sense of peace that when the comforter comes, the struggle's over, the stress relieves, the battle ceases. So when Jesus talks about this comforter that he's going to send, he truly does bring peace. A peace that we sing about that passes all understanding. That gives us that victory in Jesus that we sang about. That victory that takes us throughout life. Well, I also want to say that He's the one. He's the one who makes it happen. Verse 12. Anyone who has faith in Me will do what I have been doing and He will do greater things than these because I'm the one going to the Father. Wow, what a mouthful. Greater works than Jesus. Not by ourselves. Look at the early church. Think think about the early church. Think about those disciples that night. I mean, we're talking John 14 night. Think, Think about these guys. A little group of ragtag, lying running, bickering, carnal, self-seeking, hiding, scared of their own shadows. And yet, within a generation, within just a few years, they turned the Roman Empire on its ear. How do you think they did that? Do you think that happened because they... Peter had a well-organized committee meeting? You think that happened because John had conducted a church growth seminar? I don't think so. I don't think their success had anything to do with their methods. I think the success of the early church, and I think the validating principle in the book of Acts is that the Holy Spirit was alive and at work and directing their efforts. I mean, you you, you can't read the book of Acts and come to any other conclusion but that God, the Holy Spirit, was working through them. He is the secret for the work of the church in those days and in any day when the church is doing what the church has been called to do. Well, the same thing is true for us today. If the church today depends on our efforts, our plans, the whole thing's going to wash right into the Mississippi River, as far as I'm concerned. But it doesn't depend on us. And it's not up to our well-organized committee meetings or our seminars or anybody else's seminar, for that matter. It's His work, and the work depends on Him. And He's the source of the power. And we are His vessels. 
as a minister of the gospel, as a steward, as a part of the church, and as one who is responsible in this generation for this ministry, sometimes I must confess that I'm a bit troubled at the struggle and the effort and the strain and the pull and the tug and the begging and the cajoling and all the rest that goes on rather than the resting in the Spirit of God to build His church. Because God is the one who does it. I mean, that's what happened in the book of Acts. And if it's going to happen, that's how it happens. That's how it happened then, and that's how it happens now, as the Spirit of God directs and works through us. And so holiness means opening ourselves up. It means living in the presence of God to the point that we're directed by the Spirit of God to do the things of God so that He can move through us, so that He can work through us, so that He can pour through us and His ministry can flow through us. So that holiness is about opening ourselves up to allow Him to work through us. Many years ago, I read about a man named Crockett. He said he was strolling through a country graveyard in his hometown, just taking a walk through the graveyard. And he was just, as you often do when you do that, I've done that many times in my hometown down in Bonnab, Arkansas. He was just reading the tombstones. And he said one of them caught his eye. So this family, and it was a fairly well-to-do family, and so they had one of those really big tombstones. It had the family name on it. And then it had a little sentence that characterized what this family stood for. This is what, what they represented in the community. And he said, um, it just blew every circuit in his brain. So here's this really big, expensive tombstone, granite tombstone. They've spent way too much money to go down in history for this community. And here's their legacy for all future generations. They kept a shop in town, dash, and that's all. They kept a shop in town, and that's all. Wouldn't it be sad at the end of our spiritual journey if they said of one of us, they warmed a pew down at the Nazarene church, and that's about all. That's pretty much it. They were there on Sunday. That's about all. Well, we've talked about a lot of things this evening from John 14. All weekend we're going to be talking about holiness. And as I've said, it's not just about an experience. And it's sure not just about a doctrine. It's about a close, personal fellowship and relationship with the Spirit of God. Because nothing else is going to make any sense about holiness if you don't go there first. If you don't understand that first. If you don't talk about the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, first. I know you're a Christian. I know you love the Lord or you wouldn't be here tonight. But I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. Because I know it's possible to love the Lord. I know it's possible to come to worship service. I know it's possible to do that and live like my Cincinnati neighbor bag lady. Two million dollars at her fingertips and just barely getting by. 
it's so possible to come to church and have all these spiritual resources at our fingertips with the power of the Holy Spirit available and just barely getting by from week to week. Just living spiritually hand to mouth. It's entirely possible to love the Lord and have a totally dedicated allegiance to Him and come to church regularly and maybe even teach in a Sunday school class and maybe even serving on one of the committees of the church, maybe even the church board and doing all of that and somehow missing the life-giving flow of the Spirit of God who is the one who has to energize everything or you miss what it's really all about. I don't know where you are tonight, but I just want to make sure as we get started here in this Holiness Summit, I just want you to know the Holy Spirit wants to connect with you. The Holy Spirit wants to meet you wherever you are at the point of your need. I just want you to know that this church believes that the optimism of God's grace can give you full and complete and total victory as the Spirit of Jesus lives in you and makes you all He wants you to be as His child. Let's stand together and bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we've come to the close of a busy week. It doesn't matter whether you live and work in downtown Chicago or right here in this part of this part of the state. Everybody has a life to live and everybody has family responsibilities and schedules to keep and there's almost more things to do and we have time to do them. And yet, Lord, these folks have set aside time in their busy, busy schedules to come to this place and hear about the message of holiness, which is really a message about the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God. And we know, Lord, there's no lack of resource with you and that you will fill us as much as we enable you to do. And so often, Lord, we limit you not because we don't want you to have control of our lives, but just because we don't imagine big enough to let you have full control of everything. We're not, we're not trying to be spiritually stingy or selfish, we just don't imagine the possibilities of how incredibly much you want to work in, in us and through us. We desire, Lord, more than anything else in the whole wide world to seek and enjoy your presence. And so I pray, Lord, that in the hours we have together in the morning, you'll help us to understand who we are as holiness people, where we've come from, why you raised us up, what we're all about, what your Bible, the Word of God, teaches us about what your plan is for us, what you want to do with us. We know the devil has a plan for human lives and he spends millions and millions and millions of dollars getting that word out through social media and through television, and through the movie industry, and through the music industry, and people hear that message every minute of every day, all day long, every day. And it's so easy, Lord, for us to listen on that message. I pray, Lord, that in the hours of this weekend, we'll hear the message of the still, small voice that's spoken within, that says... I have a word. I have a plan for your life. I have a personal belief, Lord, that 
your voice can go places that my voice can't go. And that your voice can speak words that my voice can't speak. And so I pray, Lord, in the quiet hours tonight, after the lights are out and everything is settled, and in the quiet moments before folks go to sleep, just in those few minutes before they doze off, that you will talk to people about their relationship with you, about just pillow talk, Lord, about how you want to draw closer to them, about what you want to do with their life, about your dreams and goals for their life, about what you'd like to say to them. Help them to come back tomorrow, Lord, and hear some new instruction and even hear some new things from you about what you'd like to do with their life. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'll draw us all closer to you. Help us to hear your word in new ways. We know, Lord, that there's so much clamoring for our attention all around us every day. Help us to find ways to quiet our hearts and minds to hear your word for our attention from you. We're so thankful, Lord, and we pray about it every day as we think, think about um, and are thankful for your provision for our health, for our mobility, for our sanity, for our food. I mean, all day long we enjoy your incredible blessings. We don't take those for granted. Tonight, we've heard from your word about how you've provided not only to forgive us of our sins, but also to give us a sense of your Holy Spirit living and working inside of us in ways that the Old Testament prophets just scratched their heads and said, I have no idea what that means. And yet, our little Sunday school kids totally understand it. They get it. Your Holy Spirit living and working in us is just an incredible blessing. And yet, we spend a lifetime unpacking that. It means so much to us. And I pray, Lord, that in this Holiness Summit, you'll help us to fall in love with the Holy Spirit all over again. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for these words from John 14, these love notes from you. I just, I hear you in those closing hours before you died on the cross saying, I just have to say a few more things before I go. If you don't hear anything else, get this. It's really important. And so tonight, Lord, we want to get it. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful gift. We love you, Jesus. And we thank you for taking such good care of us. Help us in the hours tomorrow and Sunday as we think about the gospel of full salvation and the optimism of your incredible grace to us. Give us rest for our bodies tonight and bring us back in the morning, refreshed and ready to hear from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.